This is the Green Majority Radio here on CIUT 89.5 FM. We're in studio today with Norm DePasquale, who's going to be joining us a little bit later from No Jets Dio. He's in this, he might chime in earlier, but he's in the studio for now. Also, coming up in just a minute when we get him on the line is going to be Ryan Diamond from the Toronto Tool Library talking about a new location, which is actually in an, an actual library as opposed to the Tool Library. Stefan, of course, is also back from holiday. Welcome back, Stefan. Thank you. And, uh, and as I said last week, uh, he's tagging out for a little while, Kevin Farmer, who's going on a little bit of vacation himself. I, of course, don't take vacations. Uh, well, actually, no, that's true. I've, I've missed two shows okay. ever. One was sick and one I was away. Um, <laughs> we've also got a whole lineup of really interesting news coming in this week as well. Of course, the big news that's making rounds we'll be getting into a little bit later. Uh, I'd say the number one thing right now that's making the rounds is the Pope's do you know how to how that word is pronounced? And and cyclin something. Someone said it to me about uh, about a week ago, and then I forgot how to say it. I'm not going to even try. All right. So for the purpose of continuity, I think. What was it? Encyclical. Okay. I was going to say for the purposes of con- uh, continuity, how about we just call it the Pope's thing? Okay. All right. And then, then we just don't have to keep tangling our tongues. So the Pope's thing, also making the rounds this week. Uh, also, some interesting develops in developments in the Canadian. Uh, election, of course, getting heated up, all sorts of poll numbers jumping around, people getting excited for this reason, that reason. NDP surges ahead, liberals announce new platform. Uh, even Harper jumping in with uh, what seems to be some desperate bait uh, towards uh, public transit funding. We'll be getting a little bit more into that a little bit later. However, without further ado, I have Ryan Diamond from the Tool Library on the line. How are you doing, Ryan? Great. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thank you very much for joining us. Of course, we've had Somebody, uh, we've had Lawrence on the, on the radio show before, and uh, if my memory serves, we haven't spoken to you before. Is that correct? Uh, you know, you always speak to me. Like uh, oh. I'm always uh, hanging out with you and chatting, so I think that uh, we have spoken, but maybe not officially to your listeners. <laughs> I, I think maybe not on not on the radio. Um, of course, yet another um, thing. People m- might forgive us for thinking that I prefer CSI members, um, but it's not true. It's just because CSI has cornered the market on people doing cooler, cooler things, so it's not our fault. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Um, so I think a lot of our listeners maybe uh, know about the Tool Library, but uh, let's assume that there's a few that don't. So would you just start off and just give us the just give us the sales pitch for the Toronto Tool Library? Sure. So Tool Library is a place where you can go to borrow tools just like a regular library. We have hand pen power and gardening tools, over 4,000 tools, almost all of which have been donated by people in the city who uh, don't use them anymore. So basically we have people on average over the age of 40 who kind of uh, you need some tools for renovation or a project um, or maybe they were a former contractor and now they, they these tools just sit there it pains them to see these tools just uh, gathering dust in their basement so they give them to us and we bring them uh, back to life uh, and actually most of our members are under the age of 40 uh, who, who borrow these tools and uh, use them to improve their lives. And I think I mean I, I don't think anyone right now listening at home cannot think of at least one, if not probably a dozen uh, for a lot of people, but at least one tool that you've bought and that you've used less than three, four times. Uh, I know I certainly have an entire kit of things. I've used the drill and none of the other pieces in this massive multi-tool kit. Uh, Norm's in the studio. He's nodding his head furiously. Um, so there's really a There's a few reasons, there. yeah. I mean, like, people buy it because they need it just one time, and then, uh, you know, then they're like, oh, I'm stuck with it. But it was cheaper to buy it than to rent it, or there wasn't even in a possible way to rent it. I didn't have a friend that owned one. 
that was a problem. Also, you know, when you go to these tool stores, uh, I compared to like, you know, when you're looking at it, someone who's an avid shopper will go into a shopping mall and just end up with all the stuff that they don't really need. And I think that tool stores are very good at that, where they, they make them shiny, like they make the next model, whatever it is, a little shinier, a little newer. It works, functions basically the same, but it just happens to look different. So you end up buying it because you're like, oh, it just looks nice. And then it just ends up sitting there in the package. We get a lot of stuff in the package, like really never been, ever been opened. Wow. Uh, and I mean, I think one of the other things, too, is with tools is that there's really not usually I don't think there's been in quite some time any vast improvements in tool technology. The, the real thing that's being upgraded there is the battery technology in generally. Uh, it is. Batteries are, are such a pain to deal with, to be honest, because every company has their own battery. I mean, if you look at Mastercraft from Canadian Tire, uh, they have at least, that we have experienced, at least three, but probably a dozen uh, different types of shapes of battery. They all do the same thing. They're all pretty much made with the same technology, but they're shaped differently, so you can't charge them. So if you have an older model and your battery's shot, then you can't just buy a new battery because it's now it's six months later than you know than the next model's out, and it doesn't fit your drill. So now you got to buy a whole drill again. Um, which is, so it, you know, it incentivizes people to buy things and consume things when it's not really necessary to do that. We could have done it a lot more efficiently. I mean, I think that if, if you can get a regulation down the pipeline where people have to make a standard size uh, battery, I don't think it's going to affect anybody's ability to use these tools. It'll just uh, create a lot less waste. Yeah. So the reason we're speaking to you today specifically, of course, is uh, and not just to promote the tool library, but also the tool library has the tool library is itself its own uh, library and it has a workshop in it. And you can go and take uh, workshops and classes. But the reason we're talking to you today is that there, you're, you've just uh, been able to successfully get an outlet in a traditional library. Yep, exactly. So you know, as uh, as people. Um, connect to us because of, certainly in Toronto at least, where we have 100 library or public library branches, people uh, have, uh, you know, an affinity towards the library system here in Toronto and its uh, community presence, not just to providing books, but also providing a wide range of workshops and community spaces, uh, free internet, you know, a lot of the uh, services that people v- value in the library. Uh, but now, um, you know, after, you know, okay, we kind of just started with a bunch of, you know, friends of mine. We just said, okay, we're going to start this thing because we think it's necessary in society. People connected to it, and we got a lot bigger um, very quickly. And uh, then it set the stage for us to kind of uh, actually communicate with the public library who loved what we were doing. And we sat down with the city librarian. As a wonderful woman, and uh, she said, um, I basically pitched her on the idea. It's like, you know, have you ever thought about putting tools in a, in a real library? And she's like, it's a good idea. <laughs> We're like, okay, how about that? I mean, uh, it was so easy. So, <laughs> so uh, from that point on, um, that was last summer, basically, uh, we, we ended up uh, visiting a number of locations, a number of library lo- public library locations where they fit our requirements. Basically, what we require is, is about 500, uh, 500 square feet or more. Um, and kind of an accessible space where you can move tools in and out. And they they put a word out to all of their library branches. A few of them came back saying, oh, we might have that kind of space available. And it turned out uh, in the end that uh, Downsview Public Library, which is um, basically near Downsview Park at Keel and Wilson, uh, they, uh, they not only had the space, but they were really enthusiastic about the idea. The staff were really into it. And so um, we kind of finalized that deal back in April, and then within three weeks, we did a, a mad rush to kind of furnish the place, take all the tools that we had too much of, basically, to supply it, and um, fortunately get a couple of grants to help us buy some brand new tools uh, that we didn't get donated. And uh, here we are. So we've opened up, and we've been around for over a month now, actually, in a new location. 
And so one of the sort of meta themes here that I really like and why I'm, why I'm personally a big fan of the Toronto 2 library was, you know, when we, we have conversations about uh, just traditional libraries, about your public library, these are pl- things, uh, things at least in uh, Toronto with I'm more familiar with, but I'm assuming this is sort of a more general trend that as more and more information is digitized, that the uh, usage, the turnover at public libraries has gone down. And so unfortunately, the public policy response to this in some cases has been to close libraries. And this has a very disproportionate negative effect on low-income families and, and communities that don't have necessarily internet access and computers. And so we've created a problem here. And a lot of the time, the solution from politicians, unfortunately, is just, oh, it's not being used enough to generate the cost, so let's close it. And what you guys are saying is, well, how about we just improve what you're offering in that space? And that's what I think is really exciting. Like the Toronto 2 Library is not the only people that I've talked to that are approaching libraries and saying, let's just make better use of this space. Exactly. I mean, uh, if you look at the, the breadth of libraries across the Western world, uh, certainly here in Toronto with 100 branches, you know, uh, then you're looking at huge real estate, like huge, uh, the value of the real estate that the libraries occupy has gone up significantly. So you have a pressure, an economic pressure, where there's a lot of probably demand for those physical spaces. But then you also have, uh, you know, this ability to kind of maximize this space for the public good, uh, rather than for, say, just a small private business. So, you know, we are a nonprofit organization, and we're, I think, a part of that solution where we can offer a community service, where we can offer tools, for example. But there's a lot of other things that we could be offering in these libraries once uh, more and more books get digitized. Because it is a reality. I mean, uh, you know, I think that um, when I when I go through the library, it's rare that I would go there to browse is, is the reality. Like, I'll, I'll order, I'll just book my, uh, you know, reserve my book online, put it on hold, and then drop into the library to pick it up. So I, I rarely would go through the aisles, and and it seems to to me like you know actually working in a library that that's uh, that's a lot of people kind of like the desk space, they like the computers, but they're they're not really browsing up and down the aisles looking for things like they would in a bookstore, mm. um, because you can't have I mean you can't there's so many libraries you'd have to have so many copies of everything in order to even pull that off. Um, the bookstore can get away with it more; they can have the newest books on display. So I think that you know they have to figure out a way to to make it more browsable maybe uh, in the future through digital means. Uh, but in the meantime, we can probably reduce the number of uh, shelf uh, of bookshelves that are there and replace them with something very exciting and, and modern and relevant uh, for the 21st century, whether that be tools, musical instruments, you know, other sharing, uh, you know, camping equipment. Like this. So these are the kinds of things that we want to start getting into. Uh, but even just, uh, you know, hubs of what, what do communities want to access in the future? And, uh, and given that they're all in the neighborhood, you know, it's easy to kind of go there. It's not, it's not that far to go. So you don't have to commute to a, a strange place. We only have three tool libraries in the city. You have to commute there if you're not in the neighborhood. But actually 80% of our members are within five kilometers of our locations. Um, so you're like, okay, well, if we had more in more neighborhoods, then I think more people would use them. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's a challenge for libraries. I think the, the public library in particular in Toronto, uh, they're very much interested in the maker movements. I don't know if you've uh, talked about that on your show at all but this kind of new culture where people are trying to make things. I mean, a lot of the people are sitting in offices these days, and they're very disconnected to physical making. And uh, there's this big culture that kind of started in Germany and has spread around the world, where now there's, like in Toronto alone, there's uh, between six and ten makerspaces now where you can get uh, access. We, all, we, uh, we currently have one of them on the Danforth. And, um, and I think the library's been, uh, they're hosting the Maker Festival this summer. So at their uh, Toronto Reference Library, so it's the biggest maker event of the year is actually at the public libraries. The public library knows they had 10,000 people last year show up to that event. Um, they know the importance of, of the maker community for, you know, their future. 
um, they have some challenges because they can't offer their space 24 hours. Mm. Unfortunately, I mean, it's just um, too many, too much. There is, I mean, that, that's one of the problems, the bureaucracy and the restrictions, the legal restrictions that they're up against, which uh, maybe a smaller a grassroots organization wouldn't have the same barriers. Uh, but I think they see the value in working alongside these grassroots groups and offering something that the communities really value. Um, so it's exciting to see how this transition is going to go. I think there's going to be a lot of changes in libraries in the future um, uh, as we go forward and, you know, in the next 10, 20 years, as more and more things get digitized and we'll, we'll see what they do with that opportunity. Yeah, it's one of it's one of the interesting observations that I uh, sort of was making when I was thinking about this this morning on my, my on my way into the show, and I, I'll roll through what we're going to talk about on the show in my head. And uh, one of the things that occurred to me too was that it was kind of interesting that you know, if it, not even that long ago, I'd say you know I'm a I'm a 30s guy now, and but when I was in my early 20s or even as a teenager, it would be more there was a lot more of a sense of sort of computers and this sort of digital technology as a novelty. Not, not that people didn't think that it was going to take over the world, but at the time it was like, oh, here's a toy. Look what I can do with my computer. Or, or when I had my original Commodore 64. And so it was more like people would, you know, people would have trade jobs and then, you know, they're, they entertain themselves with this neat computer technology after hours. And we've had a complete reversal of that where nearly <laughs> yeah. everybody is, is so spends all day staring at a computer screen that going and building like a table yourself is like the ultimate novelty hobby you can do on the side, and we've had this complete role reversal. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. I mean, that's what people are doing. So it, it is a hobby. That's, that's our audiences. There are obviously, a lot of people doing contract work is construction in Toronto everywhere you go. So, I mean, that's still a, a very important industry, the, the construction and maintenance industry. But, you know, there's a lot of uh, people who, um, you know, aren't interested in doing that the rest of their life, kind of backbreaking work. And uh, they, they do like the idea of, like, being able to have a comfortable working situation and, uh, and maybe the income associated. But, uh, they still have this, this something missing. And uh, so you see a lot of different hobbies, you know, kind of spring up to, to, to kind of appease these kinds of people who have expendable incomes. Um, they don't always have a lot of time, but they have the incomes. And so it's just a matter of, you know, prioritizing something that they, that they can connect to. Um, there's a lot of corporate events going on even. It's funny because uh, we're doing one um, in a couple weeks uh, with a consulting company. And it's just like they want to, you know, they, they do consulting all day for, you know, and, looking at financial statements and strategy and everything. And then they just want to have a corporate event where they just build something. They just come to the shop and they, they smell a wood shop. I mean, just even walking in there and smelling it is something that probably people haven't done since, you know, high school. If that, you know, a since lot of high schools don't even have shops yeah. anymore. So, you know, just, uh, just giving them that opportunity to do that is all of a sudden so different than what they're accustomed to. And it's great. I mean, you can see uh, all this uh, diversity in life, and you can see that it's actually, once you start doing it, you're like, wow, this is actually really achievable. I mean, a table seems intimidating. I wouldn't know the first thing. But then when I, you actually start doing it, then you start looking at some YouTube videos, and you're like, these are just normal guys, good men and women who are just building things and just trying it. And, you know, you might hurt yourself a little bit uh, along the way, but uh, you know, most likely it's not going to be, uh, you know, a death-defying injury, even with a, with a table saw. Actually, the people that hurt themselves are likely the people that are most professional because they take it for granted. So when you're thinking of safety, uh, you know, it's in the top of your forefront of your mind, you're likely you're not going to hurt yourself. And you get to learn something along the way and feel much more empowered. And if you're a homeowner, like a new homeowner, I know my parents, when I grew up, they didn't do a thing in the home. Like, they, they always outsourced it, you know, given a, some contractor to do. And I'm like, you know, that that home feels a lot more special when you when you do at least something yourself, even just putting up a shelf. And that's and it's a very achievable thing, I think, for people to do. I built a beautiful chair last year um, for my girlfriend, and I'm sitting in the backyard. I use it all the time. Uh, we engraved it with a laser cutter. You know, it's just like it's very personal. 
And I think anybody who sees that chair knows how personal it is. And you can't just buy that in a store or expect someone else to make it for you and it to be a special. So. Yeah. And I mean, with with that. all the new stuff that people buy and then throw it when like, you know, some of the paint gets chipped off the cider or something like that. We have a, we have enough things. If we just had a sort of generation <laughs> of repairers with basic skills, we have enough things to last us for quite some time. You know, it's like it's like going into somebody's house and saying they have no food and you go in and the entire fridge is full, but it's just leftovers. So they don't <laughs> think they have any food. Yeah. Like, no, there's actually not good enough for them. Right. Here. Yeah. <laughs> so right. culture, like, have you been to Cuba? I don't know. Have you ever tried visiting there? That if you want to know what the future of like repair could be, then go to Cuba because they, they, you know just whether the embargo, the unfortunate circumstance that they found themselves in, um, everybody was forced to repair everything. But you couldn't really get new pieces of anything or even new new products. You know, so the cars are from the fifties; they've been repaired you know sixteen hundred times, and uh, and they still work. And you're like, wow! I mean, you could spend the life of these products for so long, way beyond what we're doing here. And, um, and it was, it, you know, some of them were built differently to last a little longer. Sure. And find obsolescence only kind of took over, uh, more recently than some of these cars were built. But, uh, just the idea that nothing's garbage, that it's all usable. We're going to, we're going to take as, whatever we can out of this and make it work with whatever means we have possible. And that's without the internet. I mean, like these days it's just so easy. I mean, the internet gives you everything. Go to uh, a website called ifixit.com and you can see a tutorial video and, uh, in text on virtually anything that goes wrong with your electrical products, uh, electronic products. So like, whether that's uh, your camera, your phone, your computer, like there'll be a tutorial, step-by-step, how to do it, what tools to use, we have them all. And then, uh, you know, how to, you know, what replacement costs. You can go to a store, you typically just, you know, throw it out. Like well, I cracked my screen one time. So, you know, you have to go to eBay and get the screen. It's 20 bucks. If you go to the store, they're going to charge you over 100, you know, to get that. And so uh, 20 bucks I did it myself. And it was uh, it was actually pretty cheap. I never done it in my life, but there's a nice video there. It shows me step by step how to do it. You can just pause, and it was uh, totally doable. So I just think people could be doing a lot more um, to uh, to kind of preserve the resources that they have and not just throw them away or replace them every so often. And with your uh, 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 last sort of comment there about the Cuba thing, people would say, well, you know, they're, they're, they're doing that because they don't have any choice, um, you know, because there isn't, they have to. And that always makes me think of, and I'm sorry if some, this is going to go past a couple of people's heads, um, but it reminds me of office space and the conversation about flair. It's like, well, you can do the minimum, but don't you want to do more? <laughs> I mean, come on, really? You could do the bare minimum. I don't know. It just it, it just makes on your me... your motivation. I think when you're when you're in an office job in a cubicle, and the first thing is on your mind is the weekend. Yeah. Uh, then the last thing you're on your mind is working overtime, and doing more paperwork, and teeth. What was the 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 uh, the TTSB report or whatever <laughs> it was called? TPS reports. <laughs> I swear yeah. I haven't seen that movie 45 times. Anyway, uh, we're, we're running out of time here, Ryan. I want to just ask you one more quick question uh, right before we go. Again, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Ryan Diamond from the Toronto Tool Library. Uh, and my last question for you, Ryan, is the key word in that is Toronto. Uh, we're broadcast all over the country. How do people outside of Toronto get engaged with this? Can they contact you for information about how to start their own? How do we scale this up? Yeah, this is very exciting, actually, time. Uh, when we started, there was Vancouver was the only other tool library in Toronto. Um, and now we've got one in Calgary, we've got one in Halifax, Montreal opened recently, uh, Ottawa's on their way. Uh, we're getting contacted by people in North America and Europe, um, and even New Zealand, as far as New Zealand, to start a tool library. So we've helped out quite a significant number of communities 
now, um, and there, I think there's probably over 100 tool libraries now, more than double what we, when we started just two years ago. So it's a movement that's actually really growing really quickly, and it's because it's totally scalable and it's totally easy to start. Like, all you really need is a place. Like, that's the biggest challenge is finding a place to put the stuff so people can come and access it. And, uh, you know, we started with the basement of a charity who was generous enough to kind of say, well, we have this, we're just using it for storage. You guys take care of that for us, then you can have the space basically for very cheap rent. And so it's a revenue stream for them, but it's also just in maximizing the value of their of their community space and their charity. Uh, so you know, we did that. There's a lot of places like that um, that you can do. If you want to find out more, then contact us. Go to our website, torontotoollibrary.com. All our contact information is there. Or you can contact me, Ryan, at uh, ryan at irbe.org. Ryan at irbe.org. All right. Okay. And that information will also be available on the show post today after the post. So if you missed any of that information, you want to get in hold of Ryan or the tool library, you can just check readmajority.ca as well. Thank you so much for your time, Ryan. Uh, um, oh, we cut him off there. <laughs> He's gone. All right. So uh, Edward is going to now jump in our tech and tell us what song we're about to listen to. Hi. Uh, we have Laid on the Line by Triumph. <laughs> We are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, or perhaps you may be listening to us on a podcast 
Or more likely, you're listening to us on one of our wonderful and very appreciated community partners all the way across the country and now in the U.S. of A. as well. Uh, we'll be talking about some Canadian and some American politics coming up a little bit later. In just one second, we're going to hear from Norm P- DePasquale, who's here to talk about No Jets to Yo. But right now, Stefan, you have an announcement for us. Yes, I do. Uh, actually, I was going to use uh, Norm as a, as a segue here because, because Norm just gave me a free T-shirt. Woo! That's uh, no jets on it. Uh, very you. limited edition. Very limited edition. Well, thank you. It's very the much. only one that you have. That's a exactly. limited edition of it's, one. <laughs> yes, it's. I should get it signed. Uh, <laughs> sure. But the um, uh, why I mentioned that, of course, is uh, is because we because we actually have t-shirts as well coming out. Yes, uh, in about a month, I believe they'll be they'll be already. Uh, and actually, no, much sooner. They're actually the the t-shirts themselves will be ready by the end of next week. Oh, amazing! Yeah, I they they told me it would be longer, and then he called me and said they're almost ready. So oh. very soon we'll have our we'll have t-shirts. Well, fantastic and. You also get a chance to get one for free. Just mm-hmm. like you could be as lucky as I was today. Uh, by the end of this month, uh, all you got to do is uh, sign up for our email list, uh, to, so you can receive a survey uh, about. We're trying to always constantly improve and understand what our what our listeners uh, want to hear and how we could better get the information that you are looking for uh, to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're sending out a survey, basically being like, "Hey, how are we doing?" What could we do to be doing better? What issues would you like us to cover? That kind of thing. Uh, and in, in, our, in our gratitude for helping us improve, uh, one lucky winner will win a free of our T-shirts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the image that's on the T-shirt, of course, is uh, – and I, I just want to mention – because the tagline – I spent quite a bit of time working on that too. The tagline that's going on the shirt. So what's on the shirt is, the, is a clip of one of the clips from the climate cartoons, of course, that uh, uh, Dave uh, drew for us. And it's a fabulous image. And the words that are going on it essentially has a, a big picture from the cartoon on the back. And just as it says, Earth is fine, are we? Mm-hmm. And, and the whole meaning behind that was the whole thing of the, you know, the constant thing is like, well, you know, I want to save the birds and the trees and the whales. Um, and that's all well and nice. And sure, I love nature. But at the end of the day, if I have to, when I have to choose between that and my job, I'm going to take my job. And the whole point of this is that we need to shout this message from the rooftops that that is nonsense. You cannot talk about these things in isolation. The, the time for us to be, you know, the environment movement being about saving birds or saving trees and that's it. I think I would be fair to question if that was ever the case, but if it was, it is now definitely not the case. At this point, we're talking about the entire global ecosystem, and that includes us. And I think, uh, and I think, so I think it's a really important message. I'm really happy with how the the t-shirts uh, came out. I've seen the sample already. Uh, Dave's cartoon, of course, is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last thing before we move on to the interview, of course, is that uh, the next one's going to be ready soon when Dave comes back. Yes. It's just it just needs some final touches, and yep. we'll be coming out with another climate cartoon. Yes, exactly. What was that about? I, it's been a while. I forgot now. What was the next one? I believe this one is going to be about. Uh, energy consumption and uh, and where to go from there. Mm-hmm. Sort of what uh, what's what's next in energy. So we've uh, if you haven't seen the climate cartoons again, they're they're two minutes. They're very short. Uh, if you've ever emailed me, it's attached to my email. So mm-hmm. you just just email me and you'll see it. Um, but there's very short cartoons and and basically we just love to get some eyes on them and hear what you think. And a great way to do that is to uh, go to the website. You can sign up for the email list, get your free shirt, uh, and uh, watch some cartoons. It'll be fun. So without further ado, Norm Deepakusquale from No Jet Studio is sitting in the studio. Welcome. Thanks for inviting me, Darren Stefan. So we've uh, we've talked to you before, but again, uh, uh, just in case uh, anyone is uh, perhaps uh, not from uh, Toronto um, or is somehow never seen one of your yard signs, um, let's just do a quick overview of what uh, what this conversation about whose jets are we saying no to. Yeah, so No Jets is a citizens group, a complete community group that opposes uh, jets at the island airport. Um, The island airport works at its current size, and uh, all the waterfront uses are currently in balance. Adding jets just wrecks that balance um, from so many perspectives. 
And so a, a big part of the conversation here, and, and it's a tricky thing because I, I've spoken to people about this, or I've, or I've, I, the other day I was just sort of mentioned that you'd be on the show. And it is definitely something where everybody has an opinion. And I, and I, and I think it's, it's tricky for people because it's complex because there is several different layers to the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, but the initial layer that I think a lot of people get stuck on, and, and I'd like you to sort of give me your perspective on this, um, or what your counter argument would be, because I know you guys even do canvassing, you go door to door and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, is that is sort of the well it's it's is the concept not even just and I know you've been accused of this being a NIMBY movement I, I think we'll talk about why it it's not but is also that the counter argument is also that it's that you know I don't you're just saying you don't want jets because you live downtown and you don't want jets near you is like yeah but that's also your, your argument for why you want them it's because you don't live downtown and you do want the convenience of being able to get to the airport quickly and so at a very simple level it's kind of it it, it seems I, and I don't think it is but it seems like a sort of just two-sided selfish argument and that everyone's just being selfish um, can you explain why that's not the case please you know, the waterfront is where all of Toronto comes to relax and play. I mean, I, I, you see people from the deepest depths of Scarborough come to the Toronto Island and have a barbecue with their family. Uh, this is supposed to be uh, the place for all of Toronto to go to relax and play. And uh, we, we want to defend that use. We, we feel that uh, adding jets will just wreck the balance of what people go to enjoy at the waterfront. We've just spent so much money revitalizing it, and we just want to see it come to its full fruition so everybody in Toronto can enjoy it. Yeah, and I think I think that's almost where I might even say. I mean, it's, no jet studio is a very catchy title, and I, I like it. But I think it's also slightly inaccurate because it, you're, it's not just no jets. It's no jets, and we we don't want jets because we do want to build up the waterfront as a community space. And and I think that's a really important part of the message that it's it's not even no jets, and we want it to stay the way it is. It's we don't want to add jets, and we do want it to change more into a community space, and that this should be the cultural mm-hmm. center of the downtown and it's the most central by definition place in the city and thereby the most equitable to have community space um and the counter argument seemed to be pretty much restricted to and and again if if you have a much more sophisticated counter argument call in uh call in to uh to or leave an email i mean we won't be able to get you on the line but you know let norm know what your concern is or, or let us know what your concern is that if anything if you have an argument other than but i want to be able to get on a plane more easily because um, I just, I honestly just haven't heard any better arguments for it than that. Um, but you're coming in specifically uh, to today because we have an upcoming event and it's related to some other events that have been going on. So let's talk about uh, the kayaks event. Yeah, so um, it, we actually held a boat protest last year, which was very successful. Um, essentially, the boaters and the kayakers in the Toronto Harbour do not want to lose um, what is kind of like the 401 of the waterfront. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, we have party boats out there, we have ferries, we have kayaks, we have boaters they have come together to form a flotilla which is uh, on saturday going to uh, head over to the island airport and give them a message that both the island airport and councillors cannot ignore which is no jets on our waterfront this is uh, the this is the waterfront for toronto not jets and we've been we've been seeing a lot more i think a lot more in general and stefan i don't know you you tell me but um uh just a lot more sort of citizen engaged physical action recently and not from the usual suspects like there's sort of you know every city has its contingent of people that that routinely go out and 
you know, protest for environment or protest for anti-austerity. And, and it, believe me, please don't anyone think that I'm saying this in a, any dismissive sense. I just mean that like it's it's normal for that to be the case. Uh, but we've got uh, the no jets people coming down into the water and, and you're expecting quite a few people to be coming down. Mm-hmm. Uh, this morning, actually, at 8.30 this morning, Nathan Phillips Square down in Toronto at City Hall, there was a die-in for mm-hmm. uh, Cycle TO was going to organize. If I didn't have to be the show, I would have been there myself. But of course, we had three cyclists uh, killed recently and so they're down. And there just seems to be a, a lot more of a spirit of public like you know just tweeting about this is not good enough i have to go down and put my body in front of somebody in front of a camera or in front of a politician and let them know this is not good enough right i think you're seeing a a a rejection of of sort of well it's i think it's an obvious reaction to sort of when you see nothing happening for so long Hmm. uh it's eventually some people are like well i really need to see i I need to see something Mm -hmm. and if that something is i'm going to go to a protest and i will at least be there and I will make myself heard in any way. Uh, I think that's what we're seeing is that we're seeing constantly ignored, 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 ignored through mm. through policy processes. And there's only so long you can do that until people are are decide they have to come a new way. They have to decide that, okay, just voting and living my life in a, in a way is no longer enough. It's no longer doing enough. I'm not seeing any real action on those fronts. Mm-hmm. So I have to do something else. And I think that's what you're seeing is why more and more people are, are on the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 400,000 people went to People's Climate March last, uh, last September. That's the kind of numbers you don't get. If, if everyone thought that their voice is being heard in a political system, 400,000 people don't get on the street and yell, we're not being heard. Yeah, believe me, and, and we had a big conversation uh, about this when we were going down for that trip, and, and I I had to apologize to you later because I was I didn't even handle it well. I hate crowds, and I kind of was no. I didn't handle that trip well. Like just it, I hate that sort of situation. So like I certainly did not go down, and I think a lot nobody did, and but especially me did not go down to New York City because it was going to be a fun weekend. That's not why I was there. I hated a large part of that trip <laughs> just because it's not my scene. I, I hate having that many people around. I'm very claustrophobic in crowds and stuff like that. And it was like, but you just have to go. But I think the big thing here, Norman, we'll, we'll come back to, to to you, Norm, on this as well, was just that. You know, anybody can make a Twitter account and anybody can make 65 Twitter accounts. Um, mm-hmm. And they're trying to crack down on that. But it's really – and, you know, people will say, oh, oh, you're just saying that because you're you're this sub-community or that sub-community or you're, you're a paid troll or you're this or you're a high school student, stoner, idiot, whatever. It's really hard to, you know, pigeonhole people and dismiss them when they're standing in front of you. And so when you go down, you really do see it, whether it be the, the No Jets events or whether it be the Cycle Toronto events asking for more bike lane infrastructure or whether you see it for the TTC riders people who uh, I had to miss their AGM the other night, but they had no, they got no, Naomi Klein to come and speak at their mm. AGM. Um, it's really hard to dismiss these people when they're standing in front of you and go, no, this is an incredibly diverse age group, uh, background, income group. Uh, they're coming down and they're willing to take time out of their day. And the last thing I sort of wanted to come to, and maybe Norm, you can comment on this, um, was the idea that people will say, well, a lot of time, well, oh, if you look at the people who have gone down there, it's predominantly people who have the ability to do that. So it's, it's oh, this is just a sort of wealthy white movement. And, but a big part of that too is that, of course, is that you have to be able to do that sort of stuff. And I think what I'm sort of getting at there was that I think a lot more people, I think we'd have way more buy-in if it wasn't for the fact that you essentially had to like, you had to take you have to, it costs you money to be to in, be engaged in anything more than incredibly incredibly passive online participation these days and very small portions of the public can actually take an afternoon off to to do this sort of thing so the fact that we're getting this many people anyway mm-hmm. i think really says a lot but yeah. what what is your interpretation do you how what sort of 
makeup do you see in the crowds that come down for your uh, for your events? Yeah, we do really get a diverse mix of people. Um, you know, th- th- there's just people that, f- from all around Toronto that are concerned about losing the place they go to relax and play. And, uh, you know, when we look at the uh, Seattle uh, Shell No movement, which was essentially thousands of hashtag kayaktivists getting down to the harbor to stop Shell from moving their drilling rig up to Alaska, um, you saw Native Americans, you saw people of every every sort of uh, race, mix, age group. Um, They actually prevented the rig from moving for weeks upon weeks. Uh, and it's moved a little bit now, and they're tracking it, and the kayaktivists continue to engage the rig to slow it down. Uh, these 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 kayaktivists have been an inspiration for us. And, uh, you know, our boat protest is kind of built off that whole kayaktivist thing. Let's get out there in the water and have our voices heard because, uh, you know, they're simply not being heard uh, in, necessarily in council by a good chunk of the councillors. Um, please go visit nojetsto.ca slash boat protest to get more information. Uh, we, uh, you don't need a cent to join our boat protest. It's, uh, you know, on land. It costs nothing other than coming down to enjoy the new waterfront. <laughs> that's great. So we'll, of course, have a link to that as well if people are, uh, or people are interested in joining mm-hmm. it. That's uh, June 20th at noon, uh, sorry, 1230 uh, happening uh, as well uh, that you can participate with. And we'll have a link to that on uh, on the website as well. Uh, we're going to go. Are, are you ready in there, Edward? Yep. All right. So we're going to go to another music break here. I'm, I'm cutting the, the second segment a little bit early because I, I wanted to keep our, our conversation about the American-Canadian politics kind of in one nice little neat package. So if you'll please introduce our next song. All right. This is uh, Roxy Roller by Todd Sweeney. Roller. 
right, and we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM or possibly one of our wonderful community radio partners across the country or on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can look for different ways to listen to the show regardless of which way you're currently listening to it on our website at greenmajority.ca, which is also where you can sign up for our mailing list, greenmajority.ca. There's a message right at the button saying get updates. Uh, if you sign up today, tomorrow, or the next day, if you're listening live or if you uh, soon uh, sign up as soon as you can uh, when you're listening to this on uh, whatever delayed method you may be listening to it, uh, you will get an, uh, a very short listener survey, as Stefan was letting us know a little while ago. Uh, it's very brief. It will take you a couple of minutes, and it will enter you to win a free shirt from our climate cartoons with the Earth is Fine Are We and a very awesome hand-drawn image of <laughs> a uh, stick man uh, with an earth for a head and a baseball bat. <laughs> it looks great. Really which uh, I'm I'm really happy. I'm going to wear mine every day. Um, <laughs> and we've got, we got a few we're giving away, so uh, please do sign up for the uh, the survey. But, Stefan, you are going to lead us into our next section. Go for it. Yeah, so obviously the, the largest news <clears throat> in at least uh, – in at least – the environmental sphere uh, in the last week uh, has uh, was the was the Pope's encyclical, uh, in which he sort of says what everyone has been saying for a very long time, uh, but he's the Pope, and so it matters. Is sort of how this goes, um, and so, and it's a, it's 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 sort of exactly what you'd imagine the Pope would a, a, what what a, someone from a Catholic background would say if they decided you had to act on climate change, right? It's it, it's it's about how. Uh, we have to act on both climate change and poverty. How how the the, the, the massive consumption that we're seeing in Western nations uh, has to be toned down. How the we need to you know give what we have to help the the people who are who are going to be most affected by by climate change. Um, the the ability to not only handle it but also to 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 develop in a way that is not does not make the problem worse. Uh, it's. It's a very strong. What's interesting? It's, it's a strong moral argument as well uh, for the requirement of humanity to act um, on on climate change and and environmental issues as, as a whole. It's 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 sort of it, it it is what the what sort of the if you look at what Christian arguments for um, for environmental protection have historically been, uh, it's 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 that is what it is. Um, but what I, what I what I what I what I'm interested in about it is what I, is I think it's just. Going back to sort of what we were talking about earlier is that the sort of more and more people sort of deciding that, oh, wait, to actually tackle this, tackle this, we need to – everyone needs to get on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the slogan of People's Climate March uh, in New York City was uh, to change everything, we need everyone. And was, uh, it then was like I, I love that slogan, um, but at the time I didn't feel like we had everyone. Uh, and I think we're slowly understanding sort of the gravity of what that slogan actually means. Mm. Uh, it means that like we need, you know, especially you know, referencing something coming up, the Jobs Justice and Climate March that's happening in Toronto, uh, which is bringing together, which is bringing together um, indigenous groups with unions uh, and with, uh, with, with like, so indigenous labor and environmentalists. July fifth in Toronto. July fifth in Toronto. I will uh, also link to information on the show post as well if you want. We weren't we're not going to talk about that too much, mm. but if you're interested, please do check out the site. I'll have links up. Yeah. Uh, and so, and I think that's that's what we're sort of seeing is a sort of understanding. It's like you know what? Maybe we don't agree on every single small thing, but this, but to change everything, which I think that's the fundamental understanding, is that this really the climate change is such a monumental task that it actually is changing everything. Um, and we're seeing sort of more and more and more and more. If you can get if you can get the Pope to be walking beside you know the World Bank 
to be walking beside uh, you know labor and indigenous groups all with a, with a single unified voice. That's the actual kind of thing we need to see to take on the challenge as it is. I think Michael Moore said it best uh, in the, against the war against uh, uh, against Iraq. He said, "We have the Pope and we have the Dixie Chicks endorsing us. So you need you need a broad range." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and and I think that just I just want to tie back briefly just to the very first interview. Uh, just because I, I, as soon as I, as soon as you said this line, I wanted to, I wanted to harp on it. So I'm just taking this, this opportunity to do it now, uh, which is. I think when you understand – when you read all of these things or all these arguments like this is how the world – we need to change. This is how the world needs to change. So this is how the world needs to change. The question is always how. You know, like the people always see this sort of – all these new th- ways that we need to do things. So the question is always, well, how are we supposed to do that? What does that really mean for us? And I think what I love about the tool library is it is the, the example of like that. Uh, like when you said the words, well, the words that I got me was repair generation. Mm. Uh, I actually think that our generation has to be understood as as the repair generation. We need a repair generation for the world. We're not repairing just a like that, that works on just like you're not just repairing tools. Uh, we're not repairing just repairing your car. You're repairing ecosystems, uh, and p- part of that is understanding that ecosystems aren't going to be repaired in a human anthropological way. It's letting them do their thing and stepping back. Yeah, it's so, not it's not hammer and nails repair. It's repair your liver by stop drinking repair. Yes, when we need to repair our, our political systems, we need to repair our you know like like the level of which that repair is required over the next hundred years in almost every single facet. What we, so we I think we desperately need a repair generation, um, and I think that's. That's how we keep living sort of the life that, you know, that, that is bringing people out of poverty and is helping people on, on – like that's the, that's the little thing, right? That's that so commonly you get these questions uh, on climate change being like, well, people need – we need to develop. They need – people need to understand. People need to get – like there are people who are currently in dire poverty and asking them to do anything more is, uh, is unfair. And of course it is. But I think this repair generation, repairing these systems and repairing sort of – we have all the knowledge. That's the crazy thing. Like that's the thing about the YouTube commenting, which I find so funny, is that like, yes, you can repair anything by watching a YouTube video in the same way that we have so many explanations right now of all of the problems that our society fix. Like you, if you watched a 10-minute video of being like, what is wrong with the current political system in Canada? And they'd be like, well, this is a video. We actually – like we know what we're – we know the, the problems that we're facing and how to solve them. We're just – having trouble actually solving them. Uh, and so it's going from the sort of, we have all the knowledge in the world, but we're just not actually getting to the work of doing the repairs. We're, we're ignoring, we're, we're, the part of it, I think, is that we think that we are too, uh, we, don't have the, we don't have the ability. I think we think that, like, you know, same thing is like when, he meant, when, when Ryan mentioned that you can fix your, like, your phone or something like that, I'm like, I'm not going to open up my iPhone and start jabbing at it because I don't think I have the ability. And I think that's the obviously consistently the argument about why we can't repair our broken, you know, our broken political system is that we don't think we have the capability in the exact same way. Whereas actually, if we just, you know, work together and, under, and learn from other people who have done these sort of things before, we've done it before. It's just relearning how to do it. All right. Um, so I just want to jump in here. We'll just uh, round off that uh, quick conversation. I think it was an excellent point here. Um, I just want to round off quickly um, um, eight points that were pulled out uh, from uh, his uh, the Pope's uh, comments, essentially, was uh, one, he thinks we should phase out coal. So he's talking globally here. Mm-hmm. Um, phase out coal globally. Uh, he thinks the UN climate talks uh, have failed to achieve much. I don't think many people would argue with that. Uh, he uh, he doesn't like carbon trading. Uh, he thinks that this is an obfuscation and and simply creates a shadow market by which you can you can manipulate it by making money and still find sneaky ways to still emit 
I would have to agree there too. Uh, but he uh, he does like community energy. He's pro uh, community powered energy solutions. Uh, he's neither pro nor anti GMO, which was interesting. Um, he thinks consumption is a bigger problem than population. I again, I would have to agree. Uh, he says iPhones and all of our other gadgets are getting in the way of our relationship with nature. Again, that's not only something I would expect the Pope to say, but by the way, folks, kids at home. Uh, that is scientifically verifiable. Uh, you should look up uh, nature deficit disorder. Um, that's something you must have on the top of your head. Do you remember who that was from? Nature deficit disorder? The, the guy who wrote that book that sort of coined that that concept. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm quizzing Stefan on live. <laughs> I shouldn't do that. Um, and the last thing was uh, our gift to the next generation may be desolation, Ooh, wow. which is ending on a pretty heavy note there. Uh, but I'm going to say what I think a, a lot of other people I've been talking to here, just as our final comment on this section here, and, and we'll move along to uh, politics, um, which is that the same thing I've been saying. I've been hearing a lot of other people saying, and I'm, I'm expecting uh, uh, Norm to maybe agree here, that there's a lot of people um, who are largely, well, we'll say largely secular, so sort of non-committally religious all the way down to outright atheist, um, who have been joking with surprising frequency about how much they're considering maybe giving this whole Catholic thing another shot just because and of course they're joking but it's like this guy has come out of nowhere and is actually using his giant 1.2 billion global Catholic Mm. megaphone for something that is really, really ubiquitously agreed with from from all thing, it has a completely religion or irrelevant. Um, but a guy with a big microphone saying it, um, everyone's really happy with uh, with with this pope. I, overall, we could definitely have a different conversation on a different show about a couple of things. I'm still not a huge fan of uh, the Catholic Church about, but on this point, I think he's with the exception that I'm a bit stronger on GMOs than he is. Down the line, just 100% full two thumbs. All the way up. Yeah, mm. This guy's an activist pope. I mean, he's uh, he's not forgotten where he's come from, and uh, he's totally using his his you know he's totally using his uh, his platform to speak. And uh, you know, whoever his advisors are, he's he's picked some good ones. Mm. I just I just hope we act. I just hope the 1.2 billion people uh, would listen listen as fervently to this request as as they have so many of of, of the ones I may not be as stoked about. So before we move on to our, our final quick topic here, which is the, the politics, I have two very, very quick uh, announcements for people that are in the Toronto area. So uh, my apologies to non-Toronto listeners just for about 90 seconds here. Uh, True Cost is a uh, movie uh, by the Fashion Takes Ashen uh, group and uh, uh, Ryerson School of Faction. Uh, it is a uh, mini uh, documentary, rather, going behind the scenes of environment and social impacts of the global garment trade. So if you're in Toronto, it's actually uh, June 24th uh, at 6 p.m. Uh, we, as far as this was sort of very last minute arrangement, I got tweeted at like 40 minutes before the show. Um, so I, I don't have all the details. But if you're interested, I should, as far as I know, be able to get two free tickets if you're interested in them. And I can get them. The first person to email us through contact us at greenmajority.ca right now and says they want the true cost tickets. If I can get them you will get them <laughs> uh next thing moving on very quickly here of course is that i was also contacted by another fan of the show for another movie screening that's in toronto this one is uh catastrochia i or catastrochia i my apologies again i'm i'm usually uh, probably butchering that name however it's uh it's a, a film uh, about the uh just sort of global transfer of property and just stuff in general from public to private hands uh and that is going to be actually attended and moderated by peter tabbins who's uh, uh ndp mp in toronto as well so if either of those are interesting for you again i'll have more links on the website uh, but we won't talk about them anymore on the air so with our final eight minutes 
Darn, seven minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, really quickly, uh, I guess we don't have a ton of time, so I'm gonna we'll we'll maybe leave out the U.S. politics stuff for this week. I'm definitely coming back to it next week, though, because this is going to be amazing. <laughs> uh, let's just stick really quickly to uh, so recent developments. I'll just rifle through them, and then I'll go to you, gentlemen, for a quick comment about that. A uh, couple developments in Canadian politics, of course. NDP surges ahead, first in place according to many recent polls, followed by Conservatives. Liberals dropped to third place. That may not hold. It may not even be true as we speak, but it's what we've been seeing reported. Um, huge shakeup. And uh, I'm wondering what you gentlemen think, of course. Uh, I won't ask you for your prediction as to who's going to win, because I think even if you had an answer, it's meaningless at this point. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what do you think this... This is a trend we don't usually see. So do, what do you think the trend means, even if it doesn't correlate into an elected government at all? Let's start with Stefan. Uh, first of all, uh, Richard Louvre is the person uh, who coined nature deficits. Or Thank you, Stefan. Richard Louvre. Unless uh, I butchered his last name, in which case, sorry. <laughs> uh, I, what does it mean? I think that we're looking at a well, first of all, I think nothing, not not too much has changed to some extent. Uh, we're looking at you know still sixty five, seventy percent of people want to see a liberal gov- a left wing government in uh, in in Canada. If you accept that you know liberals are center left and and then to be a left, uh, it's what has changed to some extent is that less people are you, it, the liberals have lost some support, the NDP has gained some support, and probably you know the conservatives maybe have eroded a couple of their sort of center-leaning people with the last four years of completely ignoring that democracy exists in Canada. Uh, so I think that the combination of those, that's what we're seeing, where is that as a surge of NDP, NDP support, I think also probably because of a bit of the Alberta tick as well. Uh, and quite honestly, I think Justin Trudeau took a massive gambit on Bill C-51, and it's looking like he lost. Yeah, it was, a, it was a bear trap. I've, I've seen some, some fairly interesting opinions about, about how this was a trap that was specifically set for him, and he basically had, couldn't do any right. I kind of don't care, because when you're, when you're, when you're screwed either way, you've got to choose the moral choice. And he was screwed either way and went with the immoral choice, in my personal opinion, um, and, and I think he's paying the price for it now, and, and I think rightly so. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm telling anyone not to vote for liberal. I'm, I'm not telling anyone to vote for any party. But I think I think we can all agree, even if you're a liberal supporter, that he screwed up. Hmm. Um, so really quickly, before we go to Norm here, what, the reason I wanted to tie in the American election was that's the thing we always talk about, right? Essentially, there's one conservative party, and there's several left parties. And that's why we keep getting conservative governments here, even though they always consistently get way less than the majority of popular support. So I kind of almost want, like thinking of the American system, we kind of need like a, a Canadian federal lefty primary hmm. we need to pick who our winner is and then you get to either vote okay it's going to be the ndp this year or it's going to be the liberals this year or it's going to be the green party this year and it's them or the conservatives i don't know what do you think norm i think that's a great idea um you know th- th- what you get otherwise is it's going to be a minority of some kind if everybody goes left in big enough numbers i mean uh, you know I-, I think the liberals are basically rebooting after uh, sort of the scorched earth after michael ignatieff so um, it, you know, they were taking quite high when Trudeau first announced, but I think now we're seeing more of what's reality for them. Uh, people are not happy about C51. Every time I see a liberal tweet, five people tweet back saying, why do you support that? So, you know, the people are very unhappy with that. Well, and and we ha- we uh, and uh, I don't have his name in front of me here. I apologize, and I don't have time to look it up. But uh, they recently lost, uh, uh, I believe, an MP over it who stepped down, resigned his position over the Liberal mm. Party's position. Uh, I think he might have been added to the East Coast again. I'm sorry. Somebody uh, correct me. You can Google that for sure. Mm. Uh, but they recently lost somebody who was just like, I'm sorry, I can't in good conscience run for this party because uh, I, re- I refuse to be associated with a party that supports this bill. Um, and, of course, the last thing on that quickly um, is that, uh, or at least on that part of it, was that uh, uh, yesterday we heard uh, that uh, Anonymous took down some government websites mm. yes. due to this bill. Um, 
we've had this, this is sort of a, a again a no win mm-hmm. conversation but for the sake of conversation mm-hmm. uh, are you uh, in theory not obviously uh, fa- in favor nobody is in favor of anybody breaking the law right but do, do you think that this the, let me ask you a different question then which would be that do you think that that it matters that they did that does it have any effect is there any point to them doing that even if we all agree that you shouldn't break the law um I don't. Yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, I think. I think. I think. What it, the really conversation here is the, is 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 there value in online protest? Uh, like what? Where? And what is the value of online protest? Uh, and, 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 and so when you're like, and that's what, that's what usually these things are considered. Like when, if the, if anonymous got to describe what they were doing, they're, they're protesting online. They're showing that they are, that they're, they're showing up, uh, as, as protesters in this manner. Um, whether or not it's going to be effectively change people's minds, I don't know. I think partially, my only concern about this specific tactic is that because it's on a security issue bill, the argument can be made, well, that's why we need this bill. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think, you know, peaceful demonstrations and, you know, in, in the middle of Union Square, uh, you know, like I think people are scared of the idea of, of not having control of themselves on the Internet and having people sort of just like the people are scared of things they don't fully understand and no one really understands the Internet. I think that's a generational thing, because just now that we're in the age of everything being on the Internet, the idea of complete security is just it just doesn't exist anymore. And, and I think it's a generational thing that we need to understand that. I mean, the reason that the Pentagon isn't broken into on a daily basis is because they'll find you, not because there aren't kids on the Internet that can't do it. Right. And I think that's just the reality of the world that we live in now. And there's a lot of people who are in government or in positions of power or in positions of power in the corporate or private sector that just that, that's just not the world they live in. And that world doesn't exist anymore. And I think that's where we're, we're having this this sort of conversation that doesn't really seem to lead anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of online protests, I'll tell you during the last municipal election, we learned nobody gets elected through Twitter or Facebook. You can dominate <laughs> Twitter or Facebook. That's not that may not translate into any votes. So well, and also you really we need to get people on the street. Well, and, and we don't, and we never know if any of those are legitimate either. Yes, um, of course, because anybody can make fake followers, as we yep. uh, keep finding out every day. Unfortunately, we are out of time. I want to thank all our guests, Stefan. Thank you for coming back and joining us after your vacation. Thank you very much to Norm uh, and Ryan. No Jets, Tool Library. Check out the website greenmajority.ca. And that's it, folks. Have a good green week, and we'll see you all real soon.